time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. It's time for another Re-Engineering Your Finances podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, founder at CP Weldy Group, serving you in the Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chadsford, PA on Route 52. You can find Charles online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles, we've done it. It's our first episode of 2021. We made it through the year that was 2020. Can you believe it? Can't believe it. I'm you know, ready to turn the page and you know, 2021, here we come. Aren't we all ready to have that page turned? Well, it's uh, going to be a great look at uh, hopefully a new year that'll get off to a better start than uh, we got off to in 2020 when we started hearing that, you know, those words about something developing in China. I guess it was about this time last year we were starting to hear some rumors of things happening in in China. There was worry of, uh, you know, a bit of an outbreak of some unknown illness, but it still felt so far away from it impacting us here in the States. Little did we know how that would change a month or two later. Pretty pretty wild to look back over the course of the year. Oh, yeah. I remember being in a plane. Uh, there was like six people on it. It was like March 13th. And uh, I think the day, a day later, a couple days later, you know, basically, you know, the travel was kind of suspended. Oh, wow. Or, you know, it was like unbelievable. I, I wasn't even aware of it until, uh, you know, mid-March. And then uh, here in Pennsylvania, they, uh, you know, deemed our business, which is a tax and financial services business, to be uh, unessential or non-essential. And uh, two days later, after a lawsuit by a group of lawyers in Harrisburg, they deemed us to be essential. So, um, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we didn't get too much of a negative impact you know, in 2020, but obviously, um, you know, it did affect, uh, you know, meeting people one-on-one and, you know, uh, our family situation. I mean, I come from a big family and, you know, the holidays were completely different this year than they have been in the past. And as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, I can't wait till 2021. Yeah, well, it's uh, glad that it's here and uh, we are ready to move forward with the year. Well, as we turn to the new year and look back at what was 2020 as well, you know, analyzing risk is what I felt like a lot of us constantly did in 2020, at least from a personal standpoint, you know, okay, want to see our parents, want to see our kids, what's the level of risk that everyone in the group is willing to accept in our trying to visit one another? Do we meet outside? What's the risk if we have to go inside because it's cold, you know, around the holidays, a lot of families were, were doing that math, trying to figure all those kinds of things out. If I go to the grocery stores, that more risky than using the gas pump at the gas station. It was a year full of analyzing risk, so we thought we'd kick off the first topic of 2021 in a similar fashion, but all from a financial standpoint, not necessarily from a uh, germ perspective. Uh, We're going to talk about the different types of risk that are out there and try to understand at least some of the key ones, some of the big ones as it comes to retirement planning. And I think that there are more risks to guard against than a lot of people realize. And that's why we want to make sure that we bring these to the surface on the show today, Charles. So we've identified five that we're going to cover on the program today. Let's walk through each of these. Uh, First, we have market risk. I guess that's something we all became familiar with over the past year. Yeah, well, market risk. I mean, it's funny. Most people look at market risk when the market's down. But, you know, the risk of being out of the market when the market's up is uh, definitely a risk also. So I think, you know, personally that most people that look at market risk, uh, they're really getting it confused with the word volatility. And when you think about volatility, I mean, obviously things go up, things go down. Uh, people would be more comfortable with volatility if they actually had a plan as opposed to being market focused. What did the market do yesterday? What's it going to do next week? 
uh, you know, who won the presidential election, blah, blah, blah. So my point that I want to make with market risk is that, hey, it's emotional. We tend to react, you know, to the market. And that's not a good thing. If we had a plan, we would tend to be more disciplined and patient. And the reality of it is, is like, uh, you know, I'm going to ask this question because this is, I think it's a great question. What if you could prevent being harmed by volatility and possibly even take advantage of it? And again, I really believe, you know, and I've said it on numerous podcasts, this bucket planning concept where you have money segregated into now, soon and later. And in theory, not all the time, but in theory, that soon bucket, the money that you're going to need sooner rather than later, that's really invested in less volatile assets, namely fixed income. And the later bucket, if you buy yourself a time horizon, say of seven to 10 years, then volatility can become your friend because volatility is the sole reason why stocks do better than fixed income over the long term because the volatility gives you the premium return on your investment. So, you know, when I talk about market risk or people talk about market risk, I think the real risk is not being in the market and not having, a, you know, a date dollar specific plan that you can rely on, whether markets are up, down or sideways. So when we look back at 2020 and when the market started crashing, when, uh, you know, right around that time you were riding that plane with six other people going, where is everybody? And, uh, you know, watching the world change in an instant and the market start crashing. If that's happening in that later bucket, that that's not a big concern because it's built to withstand those ups and downs. It's not a problem there. But if it's happening in that soon bucket, that's the big issue. And that's why that has to be treated differently than the other buckets, right? Exactly. Remember the question I asked, Walter, what if you could prevent being harmed by volatility and possibly even take advantage of it? Right. Well, if you had your stocks in a later bucket and the market's down 30%, I'm just using that as, a, as an example, well, perhaps if some of that money is qualified money, which means it hasn't been taxed yet, you could move that from a tax-infested IRA to a tax-free Roth IRA and pay reduced taxes on a reduced amount. The market recovers. Now you just escape taxation on you know the 30% you know, back to normal. So again, you know, the, the, um, the beauty of a plan is that it really takes your emotions out of your thinking and gives you a disciplined approach and a patient approach to let markets work. Because over the long term, I, I really believe if history is any guide, that stocks will definitely outperform fixed income. Uh, and I think historically, they've been doing it two to one. All right, Charles, great synopsis on market risk. Now, how does that differ from the next risk on our list, interest rate risk? Well, interest rate risk, uh, the best way I can explain it is this. I mean, who would ever think that mortgage rates, long-term mortgage rates, 30 years, you know, uh, would be less than 3%. I mean, you know, I, re I might be dating myself, Walter, but you know, when I was uh, you know, young and, and coming up in this industry, I had a 9% mortgage in the Jimmy Carter years, and I thought I was doing really well. <laughs> uh, I had a paper route that, you know, had a 3% rate of return on the savings. I mean, we live in a completely different world today. And interest rate risk, you know, it really cuts it both ways. Now, number one, if you're young and you're a borrower and you're paying less interest, it's a good thing. But if you're someone that's, you know, in the retirement years and you've got some of your money invested in fixed income, it might not be so good. I mean, the value of bonds definitely moves opposite to interest rates. And, you know, to give you an example, let's just say I had a bond that paid 3%. And uh, all of a sudden, interest rates go up to 4%. Well, my neighbor can go to the bond store and get a bond paying four, and the bond that I'm holding now is worth less. So the point I want to make is that as interest rates rise, 
the bond values decrease. And, you know, what's really important about interest rate risk is, hey, where are the, what's the duration? You know, how long does it take for your bond to mature? And many people today are invested in bond funds. And, you know, they don't really know what, you know, the uh, maturity uh, uh, duration uh, due date is. Uh, yeah, there's some that are short-term, intermediate-term, long-term, and there's some that's a combination of all three. So um, the point I want to make is like, Today, bonds are a very challenging place to be. I mean, there's very little upside, you know, and I don't think interest rates are going to go up tomorrow. But I think, you know, people have to be aware of the potential downside as interest rates go up. Uh, And, you know, with all the money that they're printing in Washington today, it's inevitable we're going to have inflation and inflation means higher interest rates and you know the, the bond values that you currently own will be much, much less. That's very important and amazing to look at how the interest rate world has changed from back then, isn't it? The, uh, the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 percent mortgage rates. Yeah, uh, the CDs were paying like, you know, 14, 15 percent, you know, amazing. And, uh, now forget about it. I mean, you're lucky if you can get 0.15 uh, in a money market account, you know. It's amazing. It really is. And interest rates important, really. I mean, all these things kind of work together and are important in context of one another. But I think especially worthy to highlight the difference in interest rate risk and our next risk, inflation risk. Because yeah, there's a reason that you know 13% on a uh, you know on a, on a CD or however much that was back in the day sounds amazing. But if inflation is increasing at crazy rates too. Well, then those two kind of go coincide with one another. So we have to have some context between interest rate risk and inflation risk, right? Absolutely. I mean, I look at it this way, um, and I always get back to the rule 72. And the rule 72 says, hey, you take 72, you divide it by your rate of return, and it tells you how long it's going to take for your money to double. So if we take a proxy of uh, money in the bank, let's call money in the bank 1%. Fixed income as a proxy, let's just use 3% for fixed income. And stocks, net of fees, let's just say 6%. All right. So stock six, fixed income three, and cash one. Now, basically, that's your rate of return. But if the the, the tread line inflation rate has been 3%, all right. You could be 1% in the, in a money market account and losing 2% of your purchasing power each and every year because it's going to take you 72 divided by one, 72 years for your money to double. I mean, that's too long. Number two, if you're in fixed income, generally speaking, you're spending that fixed income. That's why you had that in that soon bucket. That's your income gap, so to speak. If you're only making 3%, 72 divided by three, it takes you what? 24 years for your money to double. And lastly, if you have a plan that would put maybe those higher potentially performing assets like stocks in the later bucket, and it's making 6%, that money should double in 12 years. So the point I want to make is, in order to beat inflation, you have to have money, I believe, in three different places. You have to have a now bucket that you're, hey, you're giving up you know, purchasing power, but hey, you need that money for emergencies or liquidity. The soon bucket generally should keep up with inflation and provide you that money you need to cover your income gap for a period of time, anywhere from, depending on your age, five, seven, ten years. And that later bucket buys you a time horizon to get the volatility out of the picture and maybe to like, you know, let volatility be your friend so that when markets are up, down, sideways, you're not emotionally attached because you know that that soon bucket has another five, six, seven years of, you know, assets that are going to actually subsidize your income, um, you know, while the later bucket grows in value. 
That's a great point. And uh, thank you for the explanation of how those two need to be evaluated together, interest rate and inflation risk. All right, a quick change of gears, although I did mention all of these things do kind of you know, touch one another in a way. But those last two, especially uh, related to one another. But switching gears slightly, let's talk about taxes, everybody's favorite subject. Uh, tax rate risk. How is that? That's not something we can control individually. So what, what risk does that really you know, place on us? Well, I'm going to start with a question. Would you like to control how much of your own money you keep? Or would you let it, like to let it be determined by the Internal Revenue Service? Okay. I so mean, yeah, I, if I can have some control, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't want control. I mean, the reality of it is we are at historically low tax rates as we speak at the end of 2020. And if you look at a, a tax rate schedule, I mean, back in the 90s, the top marginal tax rate was 90%. Today, it's less than 40%. And maybe the average rate for most people is 20, 25%, which means that you get to keep 80 cents or 75 cents of every dollar that's coming in. I just read an article on the Truth in Accounting website that basically said that uh, each and every taxpayer right now, as we speak, owes over $700,000 in debt if we were to like get rid of this deficit that we have. And that's the people that have money. Like, you know, well, let me let me just back down for a second. So, seven hundred two thousand dollars is the average uh, liability per taxpayer. And we know that you know some people have money and some people don't. And I think uh, this guy Van Miller, who I read his monthly articles, uh, basically said that you know maybe eighty percent of the people really don't have enough money to pay down that debt, or you know they're going to go after the people that have the money. People that have the, these large sums of money in their retirement plans, the low-hanging fruit, and it's inevitable that taxes will go up in the future. How soon, I'm not certain, but they definitely will go up. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow they're going to increase the tax rate. What they've been doing is they've actually been taking away deductions. I've read also in Kiplinger Tax Newsletter that um, you know 85% of the people that filed their tax return and not 2020, it's 2019 is the latest figures, uh, basically didn't itemize. So by taking away itemized deductions, in theory, they're raising your overall tax burden because you're paying tax on a higher level of income. So, you know, this is a big risk, tax rate risk. People look at their retirement account, and if they had a million-dollar balance, I just want to alert them to the fact that at 25%, you know, that means $250,000 of that million dollars is not theirs. They have a silent partner in the Internal Revenue Service, and at some point in time, you know, they're going to have to pay that as they take the money out of their account. And, you know, we're doing our best to educate our client base on maybe it's more advantageous to prepay your tax bill as opposed to wait, you know, and pay taxes later. Not only are you going to pay taxes on what you take out, you're going to pay taxes on the growth of that account from this day forward. And um, I've worked on many plans where people have large account balances, uh, qualified account balances, IRAs, 401ks. And it's really like, a light bulb goes off in a lot of these you know, clients that, wow, no one's ever talked about the fact that I have a silent partner and I really don't know how much I have in my qualified tax deferred account until I start taking it out and paying the government their fair share. And if they can change the rules in the middle of the game, which they have on many different occasions, you know, I'm certain that in the future, the tax rates will not be at historically low levels, at the historically low levels than they are today. Great points, Charles, across the board. So tax is something that should be top of mind for everybody, especially as you approach and plan for retirement. Last but not least, one that's always struck people as a little bit odd is longevity risk. 
the risk of living too long. That doesn't sound like that bad of a thing there, Charles. Well, I mean, I think most people that I meet are concerned about, you know, will, will they outlive their money or, or will their money outlive them? That's really the burning question. And longevity risk is really what they call the risk multiplier, because as you live longer, things like inflation, higher taxes, long-term care. I mean, there's the multitude of other risks that, you know, uh, come into play the longer that you live. Now, um, one of the things I, I uh, looked at recently, which is really eye-opening, is uh, there was a table of, of people that turned 65. So I'm looking at a table right now as we're speaking. There's a male age 65. And there's a 40% chance that he's going to live until age 85, right? Now, if you ask 100 people on the street, how long is a male going to live? They'd probably say early 80s. But what they don't take into consideration, Walter, is that this table looks at the people that made it to age 65. And, you know, it, all those, you know, crib deaths, you know, car accidents, whatever, they're out of the way. How long is it going to take or what's the probability of a 65-year-old male living to 85? Well, it's 40%. That's that's pretty you know, substantial. If I look at a female age 65, there's more than a one-third chance that she's going to live to age 90. And then if I look at a married couple whose average age is 65, there's actually an 18% chance that one of them is going to make it to age 95. So longevity risk is really the risk multiplier. And you know you got to plan for it because the reality of it is um, you know, most of us are living longer uh, these are just average statistics, and most of my clients are not average. They're highly educated, and you know, there's there's studies that have shown that the more educated a person is, you know, their life expectancy is a little bit higher than someone who's uneducated. All great points, Charles. And there you have it: five of the top risks that you need to understand and be thinking about, especially in 2021 and moving forward. If you're getting closer to retirement, these are all key and important. Charles, these were the top five. I know that there are lots of other financial risks out there. Any other particular ones you think we should mention on the show? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's actually 18 of them. I don't have them all in front of me, but uh, three that I can think of that weren't on the list is liquidity risk. I mean, obviously, we, you know, uh, people need to have a certain amount of cash available for liquidity. And that's why we had that soon bucket. Uh, or the now bucket, excuse me, uh, long-term care risk. I mean, you know, you could have a great financial plan, need long-term care, and the reality of it is, is um, you know, all, that could be a leak in a dike if you didn't plan for it. And then there's a, a third risk. It's called sequence of returns risk. And really, sequence of returns risk is really, in a nutshell, hey, if you take money out of an asset that went down in value, guess what? You're never going to get it back. So you need to take money out of an asset that can't go down in value uh, so that you'll preserve, you know, your uh, investment portfolio longer by avoiding sequence of returns risk. So there are just three additional risks. There's actually 18 total risk. Uh, you know, one of our mastermind members, Curtis Cloak, has a you know a brochure that he put out that I have, and uh, I would just say that hey, if you can handle or take care of longevity risk, market risk. And um, I guess sequence of returns risk, which is similar to market risk, I think, uh, and tax risk. So those three, tax risk, sequence of returns risk, and longevity risk. The other 15, you know, are, are not obsolete, but, you know, they're not as challenging. All th interesting things to think about. And yeah, let's not get overwhelmed with uh, listing out all uh, 18 of those risks on the show today. <laughs> 
We'll stick with five. That was plenty enough to absorb there. Uh, if you've got any questions for Charles about these major risks that face all of our retirement and financial plans, you can reach out easily by calling 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or go online to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And uh, we'll put the contact information in the description of today's show to help you out. Uh, Well, Charles, thank you so much for the assistance and the help on the program today. Welcome to the new year, and uh, it's going to be a good one. Looking forward to more episodes with you down the line. Walter, thank you, and I'm looking forward to more episodes, too. Thank you so much. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Sorholt. We'll talk to you next time on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.